Open the podcast bay door as hell. Welcome to episode 21 of Welcome to Geek Town. I'm your host, Kurt Onstead. I've been a proud geek all my life. Being into role-playing games, board games, sci-fi, fantasy, and especially superheroes and comics. And I want to help others join me in those pursuits. But I've found that sometimes people can get overwhelmed or feel left out because they don't already have what some consider the requisite knowledge to be considered a fan. And that's where Welcome to Geek Town comes in. Here, you can ask your questions without feeling like a gatekeeper is calling you out for not yet being fully versed in every aspect of your new interest. A quick reminder that I'm hoping to expand my audience in the new year, and there's a few ways you can help with that. Let people know you're listening by sharing the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever social media you're active on. And if you haven't done so already, stop by iTunes or the Apple Podcast app to leave a five-star review for the show. I truly appreciate anything you can do to help the show reach more ears. Thanks! This episode, we have a question from Reddit user Serious-Mode who wants to know, why is so much fantasy based on medieval times? I assume that you mean the actual time period and not the themed restaurant featured in The Cable Guy. Welcome to medieval times. I'll be your serving lunch, Melinda. Might I fetch you something from the barkeep? Of course, now that I've said this, there probably is at least one story that does take place there. If you come across it, please send it my way. I'd be curious to read it. Now, there are some very famous counterexamples of fantasy that takes place in the modern world, including the Dresden Files, American Gods, and Harry Potter. And, as we discussed in episode 13, Star Wars can actually be classified as fantasy, even though it takes place in a world with space travel and aliens. But, Serious Mode is correct in that a huge swath of fantasy novels, TV shows, and movies have all taken place either in medieval Europe or a world that appears very similar, especially in technology, fashion, and government. To be a little more pedantic, these stories take place in a world that most people think is similar to that time period. Serious historians would probably disagree. But let's not argue the premise of the question too much. Instead, let's look at a few reasons why this setting is such a common trope of fantasy. To begin with, a lot of the fantasy out there that fits into this category is based on fairy tales and myths that were written during that time period. At the time they were written, they were contemporary stories, but as history marched on, these tales were retold as having taken place in the distant past. For instance, all of the early Disney princesses like Snow White, 
Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty were based on centuries-old stories. And rather than remake these tales into modern retellings, it's easier to keep the time period in a vague once upon a time. The same is true of legends like Robin Hood and King Arthur. These stories have been told and retold hundreds, if not thousands of times, with many different authors putting their own additions and spins on these timeless tales. But, for the most part, they keep those stories in the time period that they were originally written. And that makes sense in a lot of ways. In a world of cell phones and GPS, Hansel and Gretel's plight looks easy to solve. And when monarchs are nothing but figureheads, tales of princes, princesses, kings, and queens don't feel as relevant. Placing them back in their appropriate time, or a facsimile thereof, puts everything in its proper context. Now, there are some modern retelling of these tales, but often they're played for comedy, pointing out the dichotomy between our world and the world the stories originate from. For a great example of that, I recommend Nightlife, spelled K-N-I-G-H-T, by Peter David, and its sequels One Night Only and Fall of Night. One of the authors who took European myths and adapted them into a story of his own is J.R.R. Tolkien. Norse, Germanic, Finnish, and other mythologies, including the Arthurian legends, informed much of the world of Middle-earth. The Volsung saga of Norwegian myth and Prose Edda of Germanic myth were crucial to the development of the world, including the descriptions of the elves and dwarves in Tolkien's saga. And since Tolkien's work has influenced hundreds of writers following him, much of fantasy today is very similar. In fact, Tolkien is often referred to as the father of the entire subgenre of high fantasy, with his works forming the template for dozens of works over the past few decades. High fantasy is denoted as taking place in a magical world, often with fantastical creatures such as elves, fairies, and dragons. Low fantasy, by comparison, takes place in a more grounded world with just a few small magical or mystical elements. Some of the best-known examples of Tolkien-inspired high fantasy include the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan, the Dragonlance novels and role-playing setting for D&D by Weiss and Hickman, and of course, A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin, or Game of Thrones for the TV watchers. All of these works of fiction owe a debt to Tolkien, as the success of his works set the tone for much of popular fantasy for the following three quarters of a century. More recently, there has been a push among authors to create a new quote-unquote post-Tolkien fantasy that does not take as much inspiration from Middle-earth. But even with that trend, there's been so much work that does draw on Tolkien's ideas that it still dominates much of modern fantasy. Another reason writers might have their fantasy story take place in a medieval-esque world is that it's an easy world-building shortcut. 
If you're trying to create a new setting completely from scratch that bears no resemblance to the world as we know it, you'll have to devote quite a bit of space simply explaining the differences between our world and the world your story takes place in, rather than moving into the plot and character development. Certain skilled authors can do both at the same time, but that's a very difficult task. It's much easier to start your world from a place that people are familiar with, and explain the small differences along the way. And most English-speaking and reading people are at least somewhat familiar with what medieval Europe was supposed to be like. Again, as mentioned way up top, most of us have a somewhat inaccurate view, but it's a shared inaccuracy which makes it a usable point of reference. Another possible explanation is something I touched upon briefly back in episode 13 about the differences between science fiction and fantasy. Science fiction tends to be a forwards-looking genre, taking place in either the future or having futuristic technology. Fantasy, on the other hand, tends to look backwards, either in time, technology, or both. It's incredibly rare to find a fantasy world where technology continues to flourish in a world with magic. Now, there are some definite exceptions. One of my favorite books growing up was On a Pale Horse by Piers Anthony, and the world that takes place in is one where cars and flying carpets are both valid transportation options with competing billboards. Anthony's work is troublesome for other reasons, but we won't go into that right now. The role-playing world of Shadowrun is another example, where sorcerers with spells and gangbangers with guns and cyborg enhancements can battle it out for control of the streets. A commonality in both of those worlds is that magic fell out of use for a while, then came back later, allowing technology to flourish in the interim. There's definitely a logic to that. If you live in a world where magic can solve many problems, there's not nearly as much incentive for people to invent new technologies. For instance, if a spell can be used to talk to anyone you need to over a great distance, why would people need phones? If you can teleport, why build cars? And so on. This is the one in-universe explanation for why many of these fantasy worlds seem to be stuck in a perpetual middle age. I think that's a good overview of the major reasons why so much of fantasy is the way it is. However, that does leave this episode a little on the short side, so let's look at another well-used quote and identify its source. Actually, this time we're going to go the other way around. Since we're talking fantasy, let's look at one of my favorite books slash movies, The Princess Bride. There are so many quotes that come from this that geeks love to throw around, it's impossible to choose just one. Although it was not very successful in theaters, grossing only $5 million the week it opened wide, it found an audience on home viewing, has stood the test of time, and is considered a classic by many today. Its framing device was even parodied in the recent re-release of Deadpool 2, Once Upon a Deadpool. Some of the quotes you may have heard, without realizing their origin, include Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. 
prepare to die. Or inconceivable. And or its response. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. One I also hear a lot when leaving a party or social situation is, Bye bye boys, good luck storming the castle. Personally, a line I use all the time comes up whenever someone says something hopeful that they believe. My response is, you'd like to think that, wouldn't you? There are so many great lines in this movie that I constantly hear repeated back to me from my geeky friends. If you haven't seen The Princess Bride yet, I highly recommend doing so right away. It's a fairy tale type story told with a modern sensibility and just the right touch of humor to prevent it from being too sappy. Don't forget, if you have a quote you want explained, or a question that you're looking for an answer to, I'm always looking for more. Or just let me know what you think of the show so far. Send me an email at welcometogeektown at gmail.com with your questions or comments, or leave them directly on the show notes at www.welcometogeektown.com. Other contact options include facebook.com slash welcometogeektown or Twitter at geektownpodcast. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe and give me a five-star review over on iTunes to join the Geek Town City Council so you can help other people find the show and we can all tell them, Welcome to Geek Town, population, us. Welcome to Geek Town is written, narrated, edited, and produced by me, Kurt Onstead. Theme music is by Aaron Levitz, logo art by Archie Santana. All other sound clips are the copyrighted material of their respective owners, and no infringement is intended, falling under fair use.